civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland. That would be Des Moines, Iowa. And remember, what you hear on this program, you won't hear on the corporate-owned stations. So please support our alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. We need to recruit one new sponsor each week, folks, and uh, let it be you this week. Please, think about it. Last week, thanks to John Davis for being our newest monthly sponsor. And thanks to the local businesses who help sponsor this program as well, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Okay, so our lineup today. Later in the program, Ron Roseman's going to join Kathy Burns to talk about the CO2 pipeline from a farmer's perspective in western Iowa and a farmer who also thinks that maybe it's time we ought to consider moving beyond corn. Interesting conversation. We'll also be talking about critical race theory Republican style. Yeah. And we'll also talk about the very, very big corporation that uh, is responsible for getting One America News started. And we'll take a look at the uh, Supreme Court of the U.S., kind of a SCOTUS watch, what's going on there. With me in the studio, Charles Goldman. How you doing, Charles? Yeah. Good, Ed. It's good to see you. Likewise. Hey, so um, indigenous leaders were present in a huge way in Washington, D.C. this week, uh, trying to call attention to the president's um, lack, of, um, lack of cancellation of the Line 3 pipeline in northern Minnesota. Um, and just generally speaking, how he has not been particularly supportive of, uh, of what the indigenous communities need. This, of course, was timed with Indigenous Peoples Day. And, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, the, our, our Native friends continue to do an amazing job at leading in this movement, uh, providing a voice that is so critical to the conversation we need to have, as I see it. Well, we talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, which is that um, that has been the case to the point that what was the estimate that the activity of indigenous people activists has probably reduced carbon emissions in a the United chunk. States, about 25% over the last decade by their, you know, estimate. I'm not sure it was that high, but it, it was significant It was, it was a very significant number. Yeah. And, well, and they're also the victims of these projects. Sure. Just in the same way. In fact, this is, this is, this is an interesting thing that we tend to ignore, which is, although we've talked about this, we need to link up the, that this isn't the indigenous peoples don't have unique issues with that they're the victims of uh, extractive projects. So are white people in southern West Virginia. Yes, yeah, so are you know, so are African American communities in northern Indiana. Right. It, yeah, it's, this it's, is this is this is the problem, which is we keep breaking up the the uh, movements into these segments that are meaningless. What's what's meaningful is if you're poor and rural and underrepresented in this country, or poor you, and urban. Well, but more even more so if you're poor and rural. That as far as you know, being a victim of environmental spoilage, you are most likely going to be because that's and and that's the way urban people get away f from you know understanding that if they want to run 
computers to mine Bitcoin. It's on the backs of the indigenous people who live on reservations well, and, and, and what's, people who live in southern you know, West what's, Virginia. What's unique about the indigenous voice in the climate movement is the, these are the original inhabitants. These are the uh, folks who were dispossessed of their land by colonial settlers uh, uh, through violence and through legal, you know, through physical and legal violence. And, there, and, and I think more and more people are appreciating the importance of that voice. And even though I agree with you that the last thing we want to do in, in any movement is to devolve into identity politics, um, you see the unity between the connection between what's happening to uh, indigenous communities, for example, in the pathway of the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota, uh, and other communities, not just of color, but communities of poor white people and other places, who are also being affected by these things. Look, I mean, Satarsia, Mississippi, again, that's a fairly you know, racially diverse community, but mm-hmm. they, get, they get hit hard when that CO2 pipeline ruptured. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I think part of, part of the linkage to the indigenous people is the somewhat, well, it's, it, it's the presumed environmentalism of the indigenous people who were here. Well, I mean, you can... Which is somewhat well, true and somewhat oh, come not on. true. It's very much true. I mean, no, it when, really you, when, you can, when, you can live on, when you can live on the land for tens of thousands of years and not destroy it, um, you know... Well, and, but there and, were large civilizations of indigenous people that disappeared either sure. from bad luck, possibly disease... Or from environmental spoilage, but nevertheless, I agree with you. It's the same. It's the same thing when you see on on reservation land the pride that the the you know the men and women who served in the American military have yeah. for their service to a country that has not treated them very well. Yeah. But you know what you what you're also bringing out is that our treatment of indigenous people in this country and, and it's manifest in many ways is simply a reflection of the colonialism and the imperialism yeah. of of America yeah. as it's externally applied, but it's been internally applied in the same way. Yeah, so back to what happened in Washington, D.C. I mean, it was significant. This was a big demonstration. It wasn't just a one and out. They were there, I mean, for... I think for a week or mostly something. Mostly for a week, yeah. Right. For Columbus Day week. Right. Uh, <laughs> or yeah. better yet, Indigenous People's Day week. Right. Um, there were, there were, there were uh, civil disobedience actions, which uh, numerous uh, Native leaders were arrested. You know, and um, I do, again, I, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the tension between Indigenous People's Day and Columbus Day. And this is a battle that Columbus is losing. Uh, he's, well, he's, he's losing. I mean, there, there, there are cities and states all over the country that are just ditching Columbus Day for, and, and I'm, I'm very happy about that. I don't, I think Columbus was a schmuck. But I, I, I here's what, I, here's my, here's the soft point spot sure. for me. Italians, that, that is, that is, a, that is a community. They're doing fine just now, but they were sure oppressed. Uh, there was a, there was a mass lynching effect. Eleven Italians, Italian Americans, back in New Orleans in 1891. Uh, that's kind of what prompted the holiday, the move toward the I mean, it wasn't until, you know, decades later that it was established. Right. But, um, you know, Italian-Americans, this is a little-known fact, Italian-Americans were the second-largest ethnic group to be lynched in the U.S. I mean, probably way behind African-Americans. But so, you know, that's, that's you know, there's a history there of Italian-Americans being discriminated against. So why is, it, why is it a federal holiday? We don't celebrate a federal holiday for the burning of the... Of, Tulsa's Wall Street. Right. You no, know, I know. I, I know. It's a you good know. question. Why? Well, it, it, it was, it was, it's a federal holiday because our country felt so bad about what happened to these Italians in New Orleans. And again, there was plenty of Italian discrimination, just as there was Irish discrimination. 
and before that, German discrimination. You know, it just seems like every group, every group has had <laughs> their every group has had their turn at being determined at being termed the other in the United States and been oppressed in some way. Right. So I'm not sure Italian Americans. It's unique. I, mean, well, I would no, agree but with I, that. I think I think I, I think it's once you've given somebody something, it's hard to take it away. We've given them a holiday. Let's not take it away, but let's replace it with somebody we can all love, like Mother Frances Xavier Cabrini. She was, um, she was with the Sisters of the Sacred Heart, and she was from Italy, uh, came, became a nun, came to the U.S., settled in, uh, in Colorado, and um, became a mentor to, well, uh, well uh, what she, she put up shelter. She did all sorts of uh, ministry to uh, Italian immigrants who were discriminated against, who were poor, who were struggling. Um, and she, she became a saint, actually, because I, I always love this about the Catholic churches. She became a saint because they verified after her death that she was responsible for four miracles. So, hey, let's make, let's make um, Mother Francis Xavier Cabrini holiday to mm-hmm. replace Columbus Day. You know, don't, don't put it on the same day as Indigenous Peoples Day. Let's, 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 let's let that go forward. That's great. Let it go forward. Mm-hmm. But don't, don't leave the Italians behind. They, they had their significant period of oppression, violence, discrimination. Let's recognize that. But replace some, get, get Columbus out of there. Put somebody, put a decent Italian in there. Well, so, so how do you feel about it being in, in many places uh, now termed Indigenous People's Day? I like that. That's great. Let's do that. But find a different day, you know, to make Mother Francis Xavier Cabrini Day. Well, when you, when you were looking up your history of Columbus Day, why exactly did they choose Columbus? He didn't even, he didn't even physically set foot on mainland I know. United States. Yeah. He never left the Caribbean where he was enslaving. You know, that's a really good question. Enslaving the people trying to extract the gold. I know, just doing horrible things, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, but I I don't know. I'm not sure about that. That's a really good question. Why did they settle on on Columbus and not uh, Joe DiMaggio, for example? Uh, <laughs> well, 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 we know why because well, the Red Sox fans would definitely. <laughs> okay, maybe that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, come on, I mean, this is Mother Cabrini Day. I love that. I love that. Okay, yeah. whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah. Well, I, I like the Majo. I mean, he was married to. Uh, wasn't he, he? He was married to Marilyn Monroe, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I thought Marilyn was. Monroe was he married was. to uh, President Kennedy. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. I got. He just slept with. She just slept. <laughs> oh, with okay. All right, that I, I hit that wrong. <laughs> but that may not have been an unusual circumstance. <laughs> hey, we got to take a short so. break, Charles. Uh, folks, this is Ed Fallon, Charles Goldman with you. We're going to come back in a, a minute with a conversation about critical race theory. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Oh, critical race theory, Republican style. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. 
contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. All right, so hey, welcome back to the Fallon Farm. We're having way too much uh, fun here today with Serious Matters. Hey, if you value what you do, go to the website, check out FallonForum.com, make a pledge to help keep us going. And thanks to the local businesses that help sponsor this program, including, including Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd University in Des Moines. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. All right, Charles. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to start by just reading a quote from Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former U.N. ambassador under Donald Trump, um, former critic of Donald Trump, <laughs> but uh, apparently things have changed. Uh, and she said recently at the, um, one, of the one of the big Ronald Reagan uh, speech uh, events there that happened last week, I think it was, quote, a large portion of our people are plagued by self-doubt or even by hatred of America. It's a pandemic much more damaging than any virus. Um, I don't know. You, you could have asked me who said that, and I wouldn't have been able to guess. Well, this is part of the uh, dis, if you want if you want to talk about a disinformation campaign, uh, let's not talk about the vaccine for COVID. Let's talk about critical race theory as espoused by everyone in the Republicans. You know, for once, I, I wish we. Instead of asking fawning questions showing no knowledge of the subject whatsoever, um, I wish the reporters would ask Ted Cruz, perhaps, or Josh Hawley, who were both well-educated, Ivy League-educated. I think Hawley went to, what, two Ivy League schools? Three? IQ. But anyway, so ask I, them, I can't, I can't count ask them could they tell us the history of critical race theory? Who promulgated the idea? What school in the United States it's taught in outside of law schools in the United States? The fact of the matter is critical race theory is becoming a fictional whipping boy, essentially, for the right to um, use to, you know, to basically uh, make it seem that the left is trying to make white people feel guilty for the past. Yeah. Um, but, but, and here, here you have Haley basically saying it's the... It's those of us on the right who are oppressed. Well, that's by. right. That's right. And, and, and the, but the point is, is that none of them, I can guarantee you that if they asked, you know, 100 Republic, high-profile Republicans, tell, tell me what you know about critical race theory, except for the ones who may have went to high-level law schools. Most of them couldn't tell you a, a clue about what it is. So critical race theory that they're all claiming is being taught in our schools, okay, uh, is is a is a theory of law that was promulgated by a a law professor um, taught at USC and then ultimately I think spent most of his time at NYU after working with in, in the NAACP around the time of you know Brown versus Board of Education by the name of Derek Bell and he wrote a critique pointing out that while making these legal advancements that occurred in the fifties and sixties 
under well, the Warren the, Court. Yeah. Under the Warren Court. Well, no, Brown was in the 50s. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, that the for the most part, the only true advancement of civil rights, and again, this is, this is his theory. This was his, you know, trying to come up with an idea of why things don't change more, you know, quickly and more definitively than they do. And his, basically what he said was, things change in terms of civil rights when the, when the interests of, of civil rights align with the interests of whites. <laughs> and so... Ouch. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, which is, that's, and actually his critique was directed primarily at liberals. Yeah, because they're yeah. the ones who were the big drivers behind the legal yeah. advancements in conjunction, obviously, so, with so the civil what, rights. Why, why is it just um, becoming a, a huge issue right now? Is it because of the because the, it's I, being I, sold well, to something it's not saying? Who's the who's the um, the, uh, the is it a, was it a grad student in, in Waterloo, Iowa, that published a paper that uh, that helped drive some of that conversation? The sixteen nineteen paper. Oh well, no. Well, you mean well the sixteen that, 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 that helped drive some of the critical race theory isn't even about what the sixteen nineteen project was yeah. about. What what critical race theory was saying is that the 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 American legal the body of legal work will tend to mitigate against militate against large social changes, and that in in some sense diversity should not be an end. You know, he was, Bell was a believer, as, as you know, there are several of the, of, of the African-American thinkers, you know, academic thinkers presently, that there should be some redress for what happened. And that simply diversity. Reparations? It, something along the line of reparations. That's yeah, where, correct. How far do you take that? Well, that's a whole other yeah, issue. That's a whole other <laughs> issue. And obviously reparations as a issue for the left slash Democratic Party, and those are obviously two distinct things, um, <laughs> would be a loser in the same way that defund the police was a loser. Well, reparations became a big campaign issue in 2019. Right, but yeah. what I'm saying is is that, it, it first of all, it's just like evolution. It's a theory which was trying to explain why things don't happen or do happen, mm-hmm. essentially. That's, so first of all, that's what... And Bell was really arguing... And you you do see that, right? You see a lot of people who are in the enclaves, liberals yeah. who are in the enclaves but, in wealthy communities. They don't want apartments in, zoned into their. Oh, you see it all you know. the time where they, they the, right. the, the NIMBY crowd arises and says, then, oh, it, none of exactly. that Exactly. And what he was critiquing, in some sense, from number one was NIMBY, yeah. not in my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and and the fact that the, the, the way the system is structured is to soften these changes. And that you should expect that there is going to be pushback, right. and that these changes are not going to just simply stay okay. the way they are. So, but don't we? Isn't some of what we hear from the right uh, their own version of critical race theory? Uh, we're we're the oppressed ones. The system is stacked against us. Uh, you know, we're 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 continuing to be oppressed, and we're going to lose out more if we don't fight back for the you know the kind of America that we 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 deserve. Isn't that uh, kind of what you're hearing from? Yeah, I mean, you could, that's actually, you could make that argument. And so... Um, that's kind of what I read into what Nikki Haley was yeah. saying. Well, that's right. I mean, well, it, it's it's the war on Christmas mentality. Everything, you know, we live now, it, it, I, it's really weird that when, you know, when you're in high school, they make you read, the, you know, Tocqueville's 
you know, uh, <laughs> democracy, and I think it was democracy in America, if I remember correctly. You know, and he was a French observer of the of the very nascent you know, early American democracy. And they were talking about that the Constitution and, and the way we were set up as a republic was to avoid tyranny in the majority. Mm-hmm. But in fact, we live in a tyranny of minority right now. Yeah, well, M- in multiple and, and, social and, ways. And that minority is getting smaller and yet more tyrannical. That's correct. And that minority is aggrieved whites, you know. Uh, coupled with rich corporate. Well, they, well they're, not, they're, they're not aggrieved. They're just manipulating yeah, well, they're, the yeah, aggrieved yeah, whites yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to, to give them some of the They're part of that blame. minority that are making uh, life and progress difficult for the mass. Well, you, the but you essentially you have aggrieved whites who are mostly working class, non-college educated, and um, they've made allegiance with some weird groups. I mean, the neo-Nazis, uh, you know, slash white supremacists. And uh, Protestant fundamentalists and mm-hmm. certain Catholic fundamentalists. So, but the point is, is that um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you could make the same argument yeah. against what they're doing. Unfortunately, um, nobody, they, nobody, nobody, well, was, nobody except us wants to do that. But, but, but <laughs> Bell, but Bell's argument was never about slavery. Bell's argument was that racism is cooked into the American populace, right. and it, you cannot eliminate it by legal action. You and know, that, and, and how it's did, always going to bite was, back. What was Bell's recommendation as to how we eventually eliminate it? Uh, that's a little unclear because obviously um, he he was not really talking about reparations of the you know monetary type, but he was trying to open up the sort of self congratulation that whites white liberals were mm. you know engaging in at the time and saying you got to open your eyes up first of all look at yourself yeah. And understand yeah, that you have an investment in the system as it is now, yeah, too. Bre- break out the champagne. Here's a toast to our success at helping to alleviate right. race tensions. Right. And so, you know, the problem is, is that for the for the white liberal, they're also advantaged by the system as yeah, it is. Yeah, well, for sure. Maybe maybe more so than a lot of the folks who tend to vote Republican. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Hey, we've got to go to a short break, Charles. Uh, when we come back, folks, we're going to talk about the very, very big corporation, That's behind One American News Network. That's the uh, new news network that makes Fox look liberal. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Glad to have you on the program with us today. 
You can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor or making a donation. Check out the Fallon Forum website. That's FallonForum.com. And, of course, thanks to the local businesses and nonprofits who help make this program possible, including Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address climate change and to push back against the misuse of eminent domain. Learn more at BoldIowa.com. And thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes, workshops, and farm tours at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, so, uh, yeah, uh, One America News Network kind of popped up last year when Fox became too liberal for a lot of the folks on the far right, including Donald Trump. He's not a fan of Fox anymore, I guess. Well, One America News popped up. Um, and so did Newsmax, but we'll talk about One America News Network because uh, some information has come to light that I think is fascinating. AT&T, that's the largest telecom provider in the U.S., they have been exposed as the um, financial backer for One America News. Um, and again, you know, One America News, uh, every conspiracy theorist's favorite place to go for the latest in conspiracy ideas. Um, also, Consistent false claims about the 2020 election uh, in, you know, insisting that it was stolen despite every piece of evidence to the contrary. So um, you know, not only did they back it, but apparently they provided 90% of One America News's revenue since it started. <laughs> That's just fascinating to me. What does <laughs> AT&T have to gain by promulgating such a radical right news service? What's going on? Charles, eyeballs. I'm counting on you to uh, answer I, this question. Eyeballs. I mean, it, it's a business decision. And I, I, I mean, I, I thought this was an interesting report. Um, but, I mean, how is it any different than Facebook? Okay, so. Well, so, uh, no, I can think of a lot of ways. No, I, mean, I, don't, I don't really see the difference. I really? Mean, AT&T, as a, AT&T as a company, by the way, owns CNN. So uh, it's a little bit of a, of a conflict here to be criticizing their revenues that they're providing for OAN when they own – well, because they own CNN through their merger with Warner Media. So, but that's more recent. No. No? no. When, when did that happen? It's years – it's over well, 10 years at that, this point. That long? Okay. And they've actually – yeah, and, they, and AT&T, AT&T actually no longer owns DirecTV, so they have no relationship yeah. now with OAN. Well, to me, to me, OAN is the comparison – my comparison is with, um, you know, iHeartRadio. Uh, yeah. You've got, I mean, there, there's... Well, no, the, 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 the radical... It's, the, about, the, it's the, about ears there. It's about eyeballs all the way in. That's correct. That, that's all it is. I mean, they own DirecTV. DirecTV pays OAN to be on DirecTV. Um, the, the only part of it that is worrying... Well, first of all, it says how little advertisers are interested in being on OAN, that they have no advertising revenue... All their revenue is from the subscriber fees <laughs> from DirecTV. Well, that's the that's the ninety yeah. percent. The revenues are, are money that's being paid as subscriber fees yeah. by DirecTV. So they essentially have no advertising. Um, what I also thought was pretty fascinating is that the other thing that they were hawking this guy Robert Herring, who's yeah, the yeah. founder right, right. And, and CEO yep. of OAN, the other thing that he was hawking to DirecTV was a show about the super rich. Yeah. Okay. 
So here, once again, the George Soros crowd, right? I mean, so, no, so none of the Republican super rich, and, and they had a hard time selling that to Directv. Directv was not particularly interested in it. Right. So it's just another example of the stupidity of anybody who believes that Trump, OAN, Ruddy from Newsmax, Alex Jones from Infowars, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, anybody who believes that any of these people care for the common person that they're supposedly defending. These are rich corporations and rich people who are just, they are entertainment providers. In fact, you know, Rush Limbaugh said that's what he was doing, yeah. right? Well, and, and that's, that's why commercial radio, uh, AM radio in particular, went off on the deep end in that direction. It was, it was, you know, they were losing out to FM. This is back in the late 80s, early 90s. They were losing out to FM. They wanted to figure out how they could re- remain a viable business model. And that was it. Let's go to, let's, um, let's, let's, uh, let's capture the ears that are dissatisfied. Let's give them something to, right. to listen to. Because that's what to. sells. It's the same thing as what, what came out with the Facebook but it's, revelations. It's, you know, Conflict sells. Bad news sells. It, it, people don't tune in to hear that things are getting incrementally better in certain ways. All they want to hear is bad news and death and mayhem. That's so let, what sells. So, Charles, let's give it to them. Right. But that's, but that's, <laughs> no. that's the appeal of OAN. And, and so AT&T saw OAN as in basically a way of making money because Fox was becoming a little bit too milk toast for the real radicals on the right. And so well, OAN and Newsmax well, fill the void. But it's because it's because you you always I mean look at look at Hollywood. The, the envelope is always being pushed further and further. More 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 crazy dramatic stuff happening. Bigger superheroes, bigger villains, um, you know, crazier plots. Uh, there's always stuff that keeps getting edgier and edgier. And and when you when you you know you, you have to push expectations beyond that, and I mm-hmm. guess what you're saying is Murdoch with Fox wasn't willing to do that, and um, so AT and T said, "Well, we have an idea." Well, it, what happened was <laughs> Let's go with AT&T, one American news. First of all, AT and T is not a, a is not a monolithic entity. What happened was, according to Yen, you know what was reported by Reuters and the Guardian, was that a marketing director at AT and T approached. Uh, Herring Senior, yeah. and said, "What What do you think of this?" Essentially, it's little more than reality TV. I mean, what's reality TV? All these shows that people watch, The Housewives, and all these other shows. Yeah, they think that they're unscripted. Well, first of all, they're scripted. Yeah, you no, know, wait, wait, Survivor is scripted. I'm not sure about Survivor. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I yeah, am. It's yeah. scripted. There's Come definitely on. Well, Come on. Well, definitely no, there's scripted. definitely a scripting element. They'll all be dead by now. All reality shows, right? <laughs> but you know, the point is, is that. Um, it, it, it's sort of a reality show. And a marketing person said, hey, what do you think of this idea? Because you have a stupid idea to bring us a show about the super rich. It's not really the time that people are that interested in. You know, it's not Robin Leach's time like from 30 <laughs> years ago. You know, and the, a marketing director said, how about this? And so, yeah, it, it's, it, it, in fact, it's kind of like the, the libel trial against, um, what's his name? Not Sean Hannity, the other one who's on, the more, the more despicable one on Fox. I'm always blanking his name. Oh, Tucker Carlson? Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Carlson defended himself in a libel suit by saying, nobody could possibly believe the things I'm saying. And he won. <laughs> that is and a, he won. That is an awesome defense. Right. He won that. He won that suit. I, I was, I, I'd yeah. forgotten that. So, yes. I mean, the... News has become part of the entertainment divisions. Yeah, but I, but unfortunately, it's it's causing it may be entertainment to the people promulgating it, 
and to the folks making money off it, but it's causing real-world damage. Absolutely. It's causing so much damage. And that's what's so craven about and it. I, I, and that's why what, you know... So, so, yeah, so they're trying to hold Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook accountable and Instagram. Why not also hold OAN? Um, these, I mean, iHeartRadio. Why not start holding these media, these talking heads accountable as well? They're doing real damage. I mean, how many of these mass shootings are because some individual who happen to have a lot of guns because it's easy to get guns heard something on Rush Limbaugh that made him, always a man, almost always, go out and do these terrible things. Why is why why are those outlets not being held accountable? Well, you know, that's it's interesting you say that because I mean, I'm for freedom of speech, but this is going too far. Well, I mean, and and this is kind of the argument about if if the Supreme Court's not going to overturn the Texas abortion ban, then the answer is to take the same idea, which is that even if you don't live in the state of Texas, you can bring one of these suits, right? So that's exactly what you should say. You, you should allow people to sue anywhere from anywhere in the country, even if the mass shooting wasn't there, claiming that they were harmed by having to watch this on the news and that no. they were harmed and that the people yeah. who, who led well. to this you know, atmosphere of of wanton violence so should that, be held that, accountable. That's, that seems like a very obvious idea. Um, why has that not happened? Well, because, because we didn't of, have a vigilante law like this abortion ban down in Texas. And if, if the Supreme Court's going to allow it, I can guarantee you you're going to start seeing stuff like that. Okay, so you might see... That w- <laughs> right, because you, how, you can't defend yourself by saying I'm an entertainer yeah. if you say such absolutely yeah. I mean, terrible things that you lead people to kill each other. Freedom of speech is key. It, that's it, right. But, but uh, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's the, that's the typical response, and that applies emphatically to what we're doing. It applies to One American News Network. It applies to iHeartRadio. Uh, there has to be some accountability, and Mark Zuckerberg, no difference there either. Right. And AT&T. So, okay, so Charles, maybe when we get done with this program today, we'll discuss our lawsuit against AT&T for uh, enabling OAN <laughs> and, uh, and so much hardship that has well, come just, out of that. Just, just to point out about AT&T, uh, according to OpenSecrets.org, actually the contributions they aggregate uh, you know, to the political parties are about 60-40 Democrat. So, so that just shows you again. Well, it it's, shows it's you that we have a two-party decision. oligarchy, right. doesn't it? It's, right. a, it's a two-party oligarchy and a business decision. Yeah. Hey, i got to take a short break. Uh, Charles, uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss the Supreme Court. bunch of stuff happening, not just abortion. There's a whole bunch of things we should be paying attention to at the U.S. Supreme Court level. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. 
Welcome, folks. Ed Fallon with you here with Dr. Charles Goldman in the uh, studio. Thanks to our local business partners, uh, Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Our cat loves her, our chickens love her, and you can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or by calling Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. So, you know, we, we talk about the U.S. Supreme Court here from time to time with uh, Charles Goldman, sometimes with, uh, with uh, Joseph Glazebrook, and uh, there's a lot of attention being paid right now to the abortion case, but there's a lot more happening Well, there's probably well. two. There's going to be the one coming out of Mississippi, Mississippi right, right, which right. we know is on the docket, but presumably they're also going to rule again on the Texas uh, law. Yeah, and uh, I know we want to talk about other things today, but That's real correct. quick, how do you see that going? What's your best take on that, Charles? Um, upholding the Mississippi law. Which is unfortunate for, for those of us who are believe in freedom. <laughs> yeah, and I, I suspect they, they, they're going to have to overturn the Texas law because of the precedent it sets in, in terms of other things that can be brought under that kind of vigilante ju- court justice. Like us suing one American Exactly, newspaper. exactly. I mean, I, but why, why, why is that necessarily a, 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 um, a logical uh, extension? Because there, the argument is it, it's a constitutionally protected right. And you're essentially undermining it by saying that the state is cut out of the uh, enforcement of that protected right, right. by the use of these, these vigilantes and so, rewarding people. So you, even, even though you've got a Supreme Court majority that is anti-choice, they're likely to rule against their own personal preference there out of fear about what doors it might open. Well, kind of in, box in spite of what the justices say, they are also Republican operatives. And three of them certainly have a history of being that, if not four. And um, they're not going to want their party going into the midterms and then the presidential election having supported such a Byzantine you know, mm. uh, restriction using the heartbeat, which there is no heartbeat at six weeks because there is no heart. There's simply a bunch you're, of cells you're that speaking are— speaking as a doctor now. As a doctor, there is yeah. no, and there is no heart. And they're, they're not going to want them to have that hung around the Republican Party's neck. Yeah. But the the Mississippi law seems, you know, okay enough that they'll probably just chip away at Roe v. Wade yeah. with that. And and, and there, I, I I would I would assume that at least that three probably four, again I think probably a majority, mm-hmm. maybe six, um, would support overturning. You know, in their in the privacy of their own, um, you know. Uh, um, living rooms, they're probably uh, cheering on the uh, the possible end of Roe v. Wade. Well, some of them feel it's just bad law. I mean, unfortunately, they do the same thing because they make up law, too. Uh, they made up the right to self-defense as the reason for the Second Amendment. And let's actually talk about that because there there are some gun Yeah, there is a gun of, case on. Uh, this yeah. is, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to turn this over. It's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And essentially, in New York State, uh, which has fairly strict gun laws in comparison, obviously, to the south or some other places 
including Iowa. Yeah. Um, you still do have to prove a purpose for having a gun permit that allows you to carry a gun outside your house. Um, and um, the police are the ones, as it used to be here in Iowa, where you have to go through the sheriff, who make the determination as to whether that reason is adequate. Um, and that is... Okay. I'm trying to remember uh, what the what the but basically you have to have um, a, a compelling interest to, to get that, okay. and so they are trying to basically say in this case um, that and of course it's supported by various the usual NRA associated right. you know interests that um, it's an infringement under the Second Amendment to have any kind of restriction, any kind of licensing, any kind of permitting. I, I would think that police and law enforcement uh, agencies, representatives, lobbyists would be dead set against that change. Well, I, I never understood the police the police going, you know, so full bore for, you know, unfettered Second Amendment rights. They're the ones who are more often on the end of, oh. you know, on the other end of those guns. And, you know, I... I don't know what it's like to drive down Highway 80 here, and it's four o'clock in the morning, and you're stopping the car by yourself, if you're Iowa, you know, Iowa State Patrol, mm-hmm. and you don't know at this point in this country, given being there's 350 million guns out there, what are you confronting? Any, you know, it's not, it's, it's just, it's horrible what goes on in this country. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, try essentially to get rid of all permitting through this case. And unfortunately, there is a amicus brief in this case from a group of public defenders brought on behalf of mostly uh, uh, clients that are, who are uh, clients of, of color claiming that um, they want the permitting process in New York, you know, changed because the police are using it as a way of keeping guns out of their hands. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this and is, that's going to give them cover. That's a race going to, to the bottom. It's well, just, that's yeah, going to give that's going to give the justices cover to say that this is well. a Second Amendment issue. Now, the irony, of course, with this is that you know you know the the Republican court members all claim to be originalists that they're interpreting yeah. what the founders really meant. What's really interesting is the Second Amendment was never about personal. Right, gun but, ownership. It was about slave patrols. But, it was a it was a fear from sure. the South that the North was going to federalize the militias and control them. So, uh, looking at other cases before the Supreme sure. Court, um, uh, state of Maine. Thanks to the state of Maine. Um, <laughs> well, I think there. Yeah, what? the state of Maine. This is another. There, this is a great a case. Religious school taxpayer. Right. Or, or, yeah, uh, and this is this is a really interesting case because this is this is a case that that highlights again how upside down the notion of religious freedom in this country has become. So essentially, we know that there have already been a number of cases, including the one from Montana, which I think was 2019, in which the justices, uh, the majority justices said that um, the state, if the state has a voucher-type program, they cannot exclude religious schools um, from being able, people being able to take those vouchers and use them at religious schools. Mm So uh, this is a situation where there's no voucher program in Maine, but because of the fact that there's really hardly any big cities in Maine, that there are many places in rural Maine where there's no high school. Mm. And so they actually reimburse um, the parents. They give money. The state gives 
money to parents to reimburse schools that may be in another state, that may be high schools that are in the bigger cities, to take on these students. So two hyper-fundamentalist, literalist religious schools are demanding that they should also be reimbursed for the people who come to their, their schools. In spite of the fact that the way the law is written in Maine, it specifically says it cannot be for religious schools. Okay. So what I, I presume that this has already gone through uh, uh, district court? Well, the, US, the, uh, first, the, first, the, the first U.S. Court of Appeals already threw out the parents, the, two, the parents of these two religious schools case, saying it's absolutely clear that there's no obligation for the taxpayer to uh, subsidize people's religion. And I, was, was, was there a state case first, or did this go straight to the feds? Uh, was, I, this was straight to the federal courts. Well, okay, all right, so it's gotta be a, it's gotta be an expensive prospect. To do what? I mean, to fund this case. Oh, well, they, yeah. have, they have some, like, what is it, the Institute for Justice, which is, interestingly, a libertarian organization that wants to get rid of the overarching government, but they don't seem to be un- very concerned that they want to force the government to pay for religious school tuition. There's often been inconsistency and, yeah, in the libertarian universe. Of course. Yeah. And, and, of course, what's really nice about these two schools is that if you're LGBTQ, if you, are, uh, you can't work there, you can't send your kids there, um, that there's wow. strict okay. codes that yeah. are clearly about proselytizing for religion. Okay, so uh, there, I, there's also a case relevant to interstate water rights. Well, yeah, I mean, this case is, is, is more technical, and that's uh, where um, you've got uh, Mississippi, is Mississippi and Kentucky, I think, or Mississippi and Tennessee are fighting over an aquifer. Uh, and, you know, this is, this, is, this is an interesting case because this has become more of a problem as water yeah. becomes yeah, yeah. a bigger, Especially a, a sparse West, but... resource. Right. And these aquifers are underneath multiple states. And the question is, if you're sucking off all this water, North of the yeah, Agnia, yeah, 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 you're, you're denying yeah. the other state. And now the Western states obviously have kind of, they have this compact over the Colorado River. But increasingly, it looks like the federal courts are going to have to adjudicate the rights to water. And, and, yeah. and this well, is going to really be a problem going the, into the, the future. Yeah, the Colorado River is in, in big trouble. And the communities that rely on it are going to get increasingly aggressive about trying to, you know, uh, trying to maintain their portion of it. But so what, what will happen if the U.S. Supreme Court rules uh, uh, one way or the other with the interstate water rights case relevant to Mississippi and, and uh, Tennessee? Um, well, it, it certainly could end up federalizing what has up to this point been interstate. Uh, you know, well, that, that, that may not be a bad thing. That may not be a bad, <laughs> I mean, no, that may not be a bad thing, but, I, but it's going to it's going to increasingly push other resource issues into the federal courts if, if that's what they end up doing in this case. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, we've got to run to a short break, Charles. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Charles Goldman. We like to have him on once in a while. Not too often, though. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for joining us. And, uh, folks, when we come back, Kathy Burns is going to fill in for me as we welcome Ron Roseman to the uh, program. He's a farmer in western Iowa. He's got an interesting take on the carbon dioxide pipeline proposed for, uh, well, right adjacent to his farm. And again, his farm is somewhat unique. Their family uh, has 700 acres of uh, doing it um, without uh, GMO crops and uh, with direct marketing beef and other products. We'll be back in a minute with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Mm-hmm. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Market and Cafe, Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Joining me on the phone for our food and farming segment is Ron Roseman. Ron and his family have a 700-acre certified organic grain and livestock farm near my hometown, Harlan, in southwest Iowa. He's also a founding member of Practical Farmers of Iowa. Welcome to the show, Ron. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. It's great to be on. Well, today we're talking to you about the CO2 pipeline being proposed to run through Shelby County as well as other counties in Iowa for a total of 700 miles in Iowa alone. Um, in brief, Ron, the company that's proposing this, Summit Carbon Solutions, uh, is going to partner with ethanol plants across Iowa and other states to capture carbon dioxide emitted from those plants, compress it, and pipe it to North Dakota, where they claim it will be sequestered for millions of years. And you and I heard, uh, uh, Ed and I heard you speak at the Iowa Utilities Board meeting in Shelby County recently, and you also wrote an opinion piece that was published in the Des Moines Register in which you described this pipeline and another that's been announced as Band-Aids over bullet holes. So, Ron, can you give us a quick overview of your thoughts, and then we'll dig a little deeper into those uh, issues that you bring up? Uh, sure thing, Kathy. I should mention, first of all, that uh, the pipeline might, and I say might because I don't know for sure, but it is scheduled to go uh, along Hazel Road, which is on the west end of our farm. Mm. And uh, so there is a possibility. Uh, we did not receive a letter from the uh, summit saying they were going through our land but uh, it's either our side or the other side, and I don't. I have heard uh, conflicting uh, reports about, uh, you know, exactly where it is going to go uh, along Hazel Road. So it actually, we possibly could go through our farm. Mm. But uh, anyway, uh, as far as what I think about it, well, I, I. I've been saying to other people, there's about 40 reasons why I think it's a bad, 
thing. And uh, I think, uh, okay, the, a few of the top ones are, is why not, uh, if you're going to uh, sequester carbon dioxide, why not capture it at the plant, which they are going to do, but then use it uh, for other uses, uh, which include uh, uh, dry ice, lots of other industrial uses, and there's also the new uh, uh, emerging, I will say emerging technology. It's not uh, there yet, but it is uh, being uh, certainly investigated, and that is uh, combining carbon dioxide with hydrogen to make uh, its own fuel, uh, which would leave a, a smaller carbon print footprint. Well, so, that's, so anyway, that's the, the part of Summit Ag, uh, you know, that I, it's unnecessary. Uh, it could be very short-lived it would be, uh, if it does go through. And uh, because we don't know what energy uses will rise to the top over the next 30 years or so. That's all up in the air. Right, Ron. And I remember at the meeting in Shelby County, you asked the summit folks about using that carbon dioxide near the point of capture for other purposes. And their answer was pretty much, they said, right now the CO2 is just being emitted. And if it's not currently being sold to anyone else, we're not interfering with that. And to me, that does not speak well of their stated benefit to capture CO2 from, from the air because they're, they're selling this as a big, um, great thing to help combat climate change. And what they answered to you sounds a little bit more like it's a moneymaker for them. Yes, uh, it is a moneymaker. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Biden administration has one of its goals is to uh, uh, have, a, you know, reduce uh, carbon uh, down to net zero uh, in terms of uh, uh, how much energy you put in versus how much you get out and use. Uh, and where ethanol, because the CO2 is just simply being emitted, they want to, you know, at the fermentation process, capture that carbon dioxide and then pump it all the way up from the 31 different re, uh, ethanol refineries here in the uh, lower, well, the Midwest in general, and then uh, stick it in the ground, which uh, there's two things about that that bother me. One is it's going to take a lot of energy mm-hmm. to pump that up there, how much CO2 is going to be given off in that energy process. And another unknown uh, is uh, there's no guarantee that that carbon dioxide will stay in the ground. That's right. At one of the previous meetings that Ed and I attended, um, maybe it was Kasuth County, I I directly asked the summit uh, representatives about how much CO2 would be emitted in manufacturing the pipe itself, constructing the pipeline, and pressurizing that CO2 to continue to pump it up to North Dakota, and I, they said they did not know how much CO2 would be emitted in that process. They hadn't done the math on that. They could just say that it would be vastly lower than the amount that 
that they're going to capture. And I just didn't think that was quite good um, business practice. Oh, I agree with you totally. And and one of the things that uh, lay people are certainly beginning, such as ourselves, you know, I'm not an engineer, I'm a, I'm a farmer. But uh, one of the things we are finding out is, is that you have to answer from a business standpoint and from a, if you're uh, 100% being truthful about uh, CO2 and energy is you have to do life, what they call life cycle analysis of uh, all the energy that goes into producing a crop or a fuel, you know, everything, the transportation aspects, the production aspects, you know, if you're for biofuels, it's, you know, one of the problems with corn is that you farmers use so much pesticides and so much fertilizer, and those are extremely huge users of energy, and they emit their own carbon dioxide, or in the case of nitrogen, it, it emits nitrous oxide because of, of overuse and uh, uh, leaching that uh, nitrous oxide is 300 times worse, hmm. more powerful than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. And that's something non-farmers or lay people don't understand. It's never emphasized, of, of, of course, in, uh, in the biofuels industry right. because uh, they, you know, kind of want, want that downplayed. Well, Ron, in my mind. you stated in your uh, editorial in the Des Moines Register, this is a quote from you, I know it is not popular for an Iowa farmer to be critical of ethanol, but it is just not efficient enough in its carbon dioxide life cycle analysis to compete with the other emerging renewable fuels on the horizon. Ron, have you been supported or criticized or perhaps both for your views about corn production? Not to my face. <laughs> uh, uh, I've been supported, yes, but not criticized. Okay. Uh, well, I had a nice, friendly discussion with a gentleman in Harlan who uh, uh, let me let me say that I'm not against all ethanol coming from corn. I realize that it's going to at this time, you know, at this time in our uh, uh, at, uh, where we're at with uh, uh, energy. Uh, it's going to take all kinds of different sources of energy t to get to where we are want, need to be down the road. You know, some ethanol has a use, especially in aviation fuels, mm -hmm. uh, where it really shines, to my knowledge. I, my beef isn't so much with the ethanol itself, it's with how it's produced, you know, it, because we put all our emphasis on uh, growing corn and 40% of it goes for fuel, not food, and the fact that we use so many pesticides and so much fertilizer, and it's, there, there are all these other effects of our monoculture system of uh, only corn and soybeans that factor into all this. And if we had a more 
what I'm saying is if we had a more diverse uh, crops with different, much, you know, more emphasis on uh, diversity of crops, there's all kinds of really wonderful crops coming along, like like hemp, for instance, mm-hmm. like uh, the hybrid rye that I mentioned uh, in uh, my presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's how how it's produced. Well, the, re- the I can back that statement up with uh, some sound science. Oh yeah, and if you this is Iowa State agronomy science at the Marsden Research Farm, a long-term study by one of the agronomists from Iowa State shows that if you do indeed, let's say if you have a rotation of corn, soybeans, small grains, which is like oats or barley, let's just say oats, and then one year of hay, that's four years, and you compare that to, let's say, corn, beans, corn, beans for the four-year period, Mm -hmm. their research shows that if you do the more diverse rotation, you are consuming 64% less energy over those four years, and you are also emitting around 64% less CO2. So that's huge in my mind. It is. Just by changing your, what you grow and... Uh, how much fertilizer and pesticides you're putting on. Well, Ron, you live and breathe this every day, and we so appreciate your insight and taking the time out of your busy harvest season to share about this with us. Um, Thanks a lot for joining us today. All right. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, best of uh, luck with your show. Thank you. Well, folks, that's the show today, and again, we thank Ron Roseman as well as our uh, program hosts, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman, and the rest of our production team, which I'm proud to be a part of, Sherry Herdina and Forrest Detterman. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Market and Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrum Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry, Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Sign up for Ed's weekly email on the Fallon Forum website. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.